Chapter 7. The Cruise of the Alert in Search of Treasure by E. F. Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7. Running Down the Trades. At four in the afternoon, we hoisted the sails and weighed the anchor. I was at the helm at the time and was very surprised at the extraordinary manner in which the vessel now behaved. She seemed bewitched. A nice breeze was blowing, her sails were full, and yet she gathered no way on her, forged not a foot ahead, but remained where she was, tumbling about uneasily on the long ground swell. She was acting for all the world like an obstinate buck-jumping horse. Never before had the amiable old yawl evinced any signs of temper, and this display grieved me very much, for I had thought better of her. This strange behavior went on for quite a minute, when suddenly she seemed to come to her senses, gave herself a shake, and with a quick leap darted ahead and was rushing through the water in her usual steady style. One of the crew now happened to look over the side and called the attention of the others to something that he saw dangling there. There was a roar of laughter. The good old vessel had been cruelly wronged by our suspicions, she was entirely innocent of obstinacy or temper of any sort. Our purser alone was to blame for what had occurred. He was a most energetic but unsuccessful fisherman, and had come on board at Southampton well provided with fishing tackle of all descriptions. He was prepared for every inhabitant of the deep from the narwhal and the whale to whelks and whitebait. So on this afternoon, while we were getting ready for sea, he had been vainly attempting to catch sharks with a bit of our condemned beef as bait, and he had forgotten to take his line on board when we got under way. The stout shark hook had got hold of the rocks at the bottom and had securely anchored us by the stern. The strong line held well, but something had to give way before the increasing straining of the vessel as the wind filled her sails. On hauling in the line, we found that one arm of the hook had broken off, and so released us. At sunset, the desert islets faded out of sight, and we sailed on through the night across a smooth sea with a light westerly breeze on our beam. That we failed to discover the treasure on the salvages did not dishearten my companions in the least. It is true that all had realized beforehand how remote were our chances of success, Still, it was very encouraging to find that there was no grumbling or expression of disappointment after those four days of hard digging in vain under a hot sun. It argued well for the way in which these men would face the far greater difficulties of Trinidad. On the following morning, September 18th, we caught sight of the peak of Tenerife, about 20 miles distant. We sailed past the north point of the island, coasted by the volcanic mountains that, with their barren, inhospitable crags, give so little indication of the fertile vales within, and came to an anchor at 2 p.m. off Santa Cruz. The port doctor immediately came off to us, and was quite satisfied with my bill of health for Sydney and my explanation that we had called here for provisions and water. So he gave us practique without demur. Then land clothes were donned, and some of my companions went on ashore to enjoy the luxuries of civilization once again. Santa Cruz is a pleasant little place, and seemed to me to have improved a good deal since my last visit. The hotels, at any rate, are far better than they were. I remember that it was once impossible to get a decent meal in the town, but we were now quite satisfied with the International Hotel in the plaza. 
it is under english management and several of our countrymen and countrywomen were passing the winter there some of my companions dined at this hotel every night during our stay and expressed themselves well contented with the table like all pirates they were of course great gourmets while on shore and knew the difference between good and bad we remained a week at santa cruz being delayed by a variety of causes so some of the party were enabled to travel over the island on donkeys and see its peculiar scenery a very sharp little ragged boy took a great fancy to the alert crew he insisted on protecting the innocent foreigners and acting as their cicerone when they walked about the town he drove all other beggars and loafers away from them and even bullied the sentries when they raised objections to a couple of my men trespassing on the forbidden precincts of the citadel this urchin was afraid of no one and was very intelligent as few of us understood his spanish he communicated all that he had to say by means of a most expressive pantomime it was grand to observe his apologetic manner when he took us into the cathedral and showed us the flags that had been captured from nelson during his disastrous attack on tenerife in seventeen ninety seven he looked up into our faces with a solemn and sympathetic look he would not hurt our feelings for worlds the ragged urchins of santa cruz are as like each other as so many john chinamen so when our own particular boy was not by some other would come to us with a welcoming smile and attempt to impersonate him therefore in order to distinguish our own from his pretenders we decorated him with an old brass button which he wore proudly on his breast i will not attempt here a description of this so often described island in my opinion it must be a far pleasanter winter resort than that somewhat melancholy island madeira where there is a depressing sense of being imprisoned by the steep mountains the mountains of tenerife are still higher but there are broad and beautiful plains beneath them that give an idea of freedom and breathing-room there are excellent hotels in other portions of tenerife and in the neighborhood of santa cruz there are many beautifully situated villas and chateaus belonging to the native gentry that can be hired at very moderate rates indeed while provisions are good and cheap the ship's complement was diminished by two at santa cruz the boatswain and one of the volunteers leaving us before sailing we took on board a large quantity of stores including barrels of salt beef which proved to be of a very inferior quality to what we had bought at southampton but this was ancient and having arrived at a certain stage of nastiness was not likely to get any worse the paid hands quite approved of it for it was at any rate better than that served out on the majority of merchant vessels we also procured some very fair native wine like a rough port which mixed with water formed a wholesome drink for the tropics the high temperature we experienced while crossing the equator nearly spoiled this so that we had to fortify it further with rum in order to preserve it on the last day of our stay we went to the excellent fruit market and laid in a goodly supply of grapes bananas and other fruits and vegetables we also purchased a quantity of the cheap native cigars so for a while we lived luxuriously on board ship i would have sailed from here direct for bahia at which port as being the nearest to trinidad it was my intention to fill up with water and other necessaries before commencing our chief operations 
but as letters were awaiting many of us at st vincent in the cape verdes i decided to call at that island on the way at nine a m september twenty fifth we weighed anchor and sailed to st vincent the distance is a little under nine hundred miles which we accomplished in seven days for the first three days we encountered south to southeast winds with fine weather on september twenty eighth the wind veered to the northeast being thus right aft as the boom of our racing spinnaker was a very heavy spar and formed a considerable top weight while standing along the mainmast in the usual way we unshipped it from its gooseneck and laid it on deck we had now come into a region of strong trades the wind was fresh and squally and we ran through the night with the tack of our mainsail triced well up and our mizzen stowed on the following day september twenty ninth the glass was still falling and the sea running up astern of us was occasionally high and steep there were signs of worse weather coming so we prepared for it by striking the topmast lowering our mainsail and setting our trysail the day's run was a hundred and seventy four miles the glass had given us a false alarm after all for on the following day the wind moderated and we were enabled to hoist our large balloon foresail but a heavy sea was still rolling up from the northeast it was evident that a gale had been recently blowing over the disturbed tract of ocean which we were now crossing the cape verde islands are frequently enveloped in clouds so that they cannot be distinguished until one is quite close to them this had been my former experience and the same thing occurred now in the night of october first we knew that we were in the vicinity of the island of st antonio the northernmost of the archipelago but right ahead of us there stretched a great bank of cloud concealing everything behind at last however a squall partly cleared the rolling vapor and we perceived a few miles distant the black mountainous mass of the island whose volcanic peaks rise to a height upwards of seven thousand feet above the sea then the bright flash from the lighthouse on bull point became visible the islands of st vincent and st antonio are separated from each other by a channel two leagues broad so i decided to heave to in sight of the st antonio light until daybreak we got under way again at dawn october second and in a few hours were lying at anchor in Porto Grande Bay, St. Vincent. This desolate island, which is an important coaling station and nothing else, inhabited by a robust but roughenly race of Negroes, has often been described a mere cinder heap, arid, bare of verdure, almost destitute of water. It is the most dreary, inhospitable looking place I know. The volcanic soil seems to soak in the rays of the tropical sun and convert it into a veritable oven at times. But the dismalness of nature is atoned for by the cheeriness and hospitality of one section of the population, for the white community there is almost entirely composed of Englishmen, the staff of the Anglo-Brazilian Telegraph Company, of which this is a very important station, and the employees of the two British coal kings of the island though there had sprung up a new generation of these young fellows since i had visited the island in the falcon yet i met several old friends whose acquaintances i had then made porto grande miserable place as it still is had improved a good deal since i had seen it last there are hotels here now of a sort and at one of these on the beach kept by a pleasant italian and his provencal wife 
we found it possible to lunch and dine very decently i notice that i have a tendency in this book to speak of little else save the gastronomic possibilities of the ports i called at in the course of the voyage but i had visited and described all these places before and that is some excuse for the sights were not new to me whereas a good dinner seems always to have the freshness of novelty this may sound disgustingly greedy to a sedentary and dyspeptic person but may i ask whether every sound britisher does not look upon the quality of his food as one of his most important considerations during his travels abroad how natural then was it that seafarers like ourselves who were seldom in port and whose diet for months consisted chiefly of tough salt junk and weevily biscuit should be more vividly impressed by a luxurious meal on shore than by all the lions of these foreign lands here one of the volunteers our poor old purser generally known on board as the bellman left us and returned to england the state of his health rendered it unwise for him to proceed further on a voyage of this description suspecting that i might lose others of my crew i looked around porto grande for two fresh paid hands this is a very bad place to pick up sailors in but i was lucky in my search i shipped two young colored men from the west indies one a native of st kitts and therefore an english subject and the other a dutchman hailing from st eustatius these two negroes whose names were respectively john joseph marshall and george theodosius spanner had been loafing about porto grande for some time in search of a vessel the poor fellows had been jumped from a yankee whaler that had called here jumping i may explain for the benefit of those who do not know the term is the process by which an unprincipled skipper obtains a crew for nothing it is done in this way hands are shipped say for a whaling voyage in time long arrears of pay are due to the men as also are their shares in the results of the fishery but the period for which they have signed articles has not yet been completed and so they are at the captain's mercy for some time to come this tyrant therefore proceeds to ill-treat them to such an extent that as soon as port is reached they escape on shore and desert the vessel thereby forfeiting all claim to the money due to them thereupon the skipper pockets the earnings of his men and sails away with a fresh crew with whom he repeats the process some whaling captains are great adepts at jumping and will even sometimes bully the entire crew into desertion but those who are not masters of the art dare not risk this but content themselves with selecting a few hands only generally those who are weak or unpopular in the forecastle as victims for their brutality john joseph and theodosius as being innocent west indian blacks had been victims of this particular skipper and nine months pay was due to them when they deserted john joseph shipped with us as cook right being now rated as a b while theodosius served before the mast they both proved to be excellent fellows we found fresh provisions to be very scarce and dear at porto grande as a rule tropical fruits and vegetables are plentiful and cheap here for though st vincent is barren the inner valleys of the neighboring island of st antonio are extremely fertile and provisions of all sorts and even fresh water are brought over from it in the native boats but smallpox happened now to be very prevalent among the negro population of san antonio 
so that the island was strictly quarantined and st vincent was cut off from its usual source of supplies our racing spinnaker in its boom had proved to be rather large and unmanageable for the purposes of an ocean voyage but our balloon foresail was of about the right size for a cruising spinnaker i accordingly had a small boom made for it here and it was invariably used for the future in place of the unwieldy racing sail from st vincent we sailed across the atlantic to bahia and brazil i had followed exactly the same route with a falcon and found the voyage a tedious one for on leaving the region of the northeast trades a vessel encounters the squally and rainy southwest african monsoons blowing right in her teeth and when these are passed there lies before one the broad belt of the equatorial doldrums a region of steaming debilitating calms that divides the northeast from the southeast trades under the impression that the log of a small vessel that had made this uncomfortable passage might be of interest to yachting men i described this portion of the falcon's voyage in my book with more minuteness than usual with the result that one reviewer characterized the perusal of that particular chapter as being like eating sawdust i will profit by this warning and spare my readers too much log of calms and squalls doldrums and monsoons and treat them to as little sawdust as possible with the falcon we accomplished the voyage from st vincent to bahia in twenty-two days but with the alert we were twenty-six days doing this for we were not so lucky in our weather and we were delayed by a much longer spell of calms on the line than we had experienced in the falcon we weighed anchor in the afternoon of october ninth and got out of the harbor under all plain sail for the first four days we did very well the wind was southeast and the sea moderate so that at midday on october thirteenth we were well on our way being in latitude two degrees twenty five minutes north and longitude twenty eight degrees fifty two minutes west but now our troubles commenced with a squall the wind shifted to the southwest and we knew that we had reached the dreaded monsoon region the log was now a record for days of what sailors call dusty weather and i fear the reading of it would prove sawdusty in the extreme the southwest monsoon is accompanied by violent thunderstorms rain and squalls and the sea in this portion of the ocean is perpetually confused so that a vessel turning to windward can make but little progress then we came into the abominable region of calms where we rolled helplessly on the smooth long swell while our ropes and sails chafed themselves away with idleness suffering more wear and tear than they would in a week of gales ours was indeed a very unpleasant experience of the doldrums for some days we made no progress whatever not even an occasional squall coming down to help us along for a mile or so in two weeks we only travelled four hundred miles and we did not cross the equator until october twenty seventh we saw a few vessels on this voyage we spoke too the french mail steamer parana homeward bound and the british ship marioneth of liverpool bound south we were not only unlucky with our winds but also with our fishing while crossing this sea on the falcon we had caught quantities of dolphins thrashers and kingfish but on this voyage we caught nothing until we had sighted fernando noronha when we did manage to secure a barracuda and a kingfish while rolling about helplessly in the dreary doldrums in the atmosphere of a turkish bath 
there was nothing to interest us save the sunrises and sunsets over the monotonous oily-looking sea and these for several days in succession were more magnificent than i think i have ever seen before sometimes the whole heaven seemed ablaze with flames and at other times sharply defined black opaque masses of clouds stood out in a strange contrast to a background of brilliant and transparent colour and behind the nearer atmosphere one caught glimpses of vast spreads of the most delicate and tender tints pink green blue and creamy white looking like a glorious placid ocean of light infinitely far away studded with ever-changing fairy islands with the exercise of a very little imagination one could distinguish on that wonderful equatorial sky oceans and continents mountains of snow and glowing volcanoes and immense plains of indescribable beauty one of the characteristics of the atmosphere of the doldrums is the opaque appearance of the lower banks of clouds at night they often look like solid black walls close to one so much so that i was twice called up by our absurd second mate who had been terrified by the sudden discovery that a large hitherto unknown island was just under our lee we fell in with the southeast trades when we were but two degrees north of the equator but it was not until we had crossed the line that we were able to record anything like a good run each midday we were then sailing full and by on the port tack and the trades were so high that for three days we were under two reefed mainsail and reefed foresail the vessel occasionally plunging her bows into the short seas at dawn on october twenty ninth we sighted the island of fernando noronha on the port bow and at midday we were close under it this island which is about six miles long presents a beautiful appearance from the sea with its lofty pinnacles of bare rock towering above the dense green vegetation that covers the hillsides fernando noronha is used as a penal settlement by the brazilians and is commanded by a major who has a hundred black troops under him there are about one thousand five hundred convicts on the island chiefly blacks and mulattoes but there is or recently was one englishman among them it is almost impossible for a prisoner to escape for there are no boats on the island and the regulations about landing are very strict indeed i believe that no foreign vessel is allowed to hold any communication with the shore unless in want of water or other urgent necessity on the morning of october thirty first we sighted the brazilian coast near pernambuco a long stretch of golden sands beaten by the surf fringed with waving coconuts behind which far inland were swelling ranges of forest-clad mountains it was a beautiful and very tropical-looking shore familiar to me for i had sailed by it on several previous occasions we now followed the coast for upwards of four hundred miles observing a distance of five miles off it so as to be clear of the outlying coral reefs we passed many of the native fishing catamarans manned by naked negroes quaint rafts with triangular sails and decks that were under water with every wave for three days we coasted along this beautiful land with a favoring wind on saturday night november second we opened out the entrance of the reconcavo or gulf of bahia and sailing up we let go our anchor at midnight off the city of bahia close under fort lamar where i had anchored in the falcon all my companions were amazed at the beautiful appearance of the city as seen from the sea by night 
the churches and houses of the upper town gleaming like white marble in the moonlight with lofty cabbage palms and rank tropical vegetation growing between the long lines of well-lit streets extending for miles round the bay gave them an idea of the magnificence of bahia that a walk through the dirty streets by daylight on the morrow did much to modify the old portuguese city is picturesque but scarcely magnificent End of chapter 7